Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today I am joined by Eric Christensen. He is a trauma survivor, a filmmaker, and a hope ambassador. And we're going to be talking about all that he's doing to make a difference in the world and what got him to this point. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Curtis. So is it Curveball or Curtis? <laughs> Either one you prefer. I love Curveball. That sounds great. Yeah. And it's, a, it's great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. The story is it's all about you today. So whatever you want to call me is fine. Why don't you start off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from and, and a little bit of background about yourself that you might want them to know before we get into it. Oh, let's see. Born and bred Californian. And uh, some people think that's crazy these days, but I love the ocean. But really, uh, I've made films uh, since I was in second grade. And I think for about a month or so, someplace in there in grade school, you know, I might have wanted to be a fireman, but I just knew this whole time that, uh, you know, I was supposed to be making films. So I literally started with regular eight cameras and super eight cameras and made little films this whole time, uh, you know, starting around when I was about nine years old. And the interesting thing is I, I always knew I had some sort of message, even deep down when I was that young, that I had to, to give to people, but it, it wasn't focused. I didn't know what that message was. And if you flash forward, you know, to 27 years later, as, well, actually 26 years later, as about 26 years old, or, or I mean, um, uh, let's see, my time frame, but but uh, my home burned down in the Painted Cave fire about uh, 30 years ago or so. And uh, that's when my focus became very apparent. Um, after, that, after that fire, I was working in the industry. I was doing a lot of different uh, rap videos and, and, and uh, commercials and such, but... Um, I made a film after that fire about my recovery and the recovery of a, a couple other people I had met after the fire. And that film became Faces in the Fire. And um, it won my first Emmy Award. But not only that, um, it was picked up by the National Institute of Mental Health as a tool to guide counselors in dealing with people that have went through traumatic situations. And uh, that was about... 29 years ago now at this point when that film came out and that's what I've been doing since. And then on top of that, you know, I'm a husband and a father of three amazing young adults now. I can't call them kids, but my calling really is to make these films about trauma, but it's just not about trauma. It's about the recovery following and it's the hope that's inherent. And I'm, I'm working on my fourth film right now. So how many Emmys do you have total from your films? Um, well, films and commercials and such, I have seven. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I, st I stopped collecting awards a while ago, and I started doing what I needed to do. 
<laughs> which is make make these films. And I'm not saying that my current films, the last three films I've done haven't won awards, but now I'm really focusing on the content and making films that um, touch people's soul. Well, kind of tell us about those three films. Just go through each of them and just kind of give a brief description of them. That's a great question. I'd love to, because there's a definite progression in these films. Well, as I mentioned, the first film was Faces in the Fire, and it was about fire survivors, a disaster, fire disaster in Santa Barbara, California, that happened 30 years ago. But it was, it turned out to be about the recovery and how, you know, we overcame and the different obstacles and the hope following, you know, basically having your home taken away in a disaster. But uh, what happened with that film is the National Institute of Mental Health saw it and they wanted to pick it up for their catalog. And I know, and that, that sent a message to me that my films have a very important content to them. It's not only, I guess, what you would call entertainment, which I hate to call it, but that's what it is. But it also has an educational and a spiritual hope-based side to it. So that was my first film, uh, Faces in the Fire. And then, man, I got a lot of work from public television. I did an IMAX film after that film. And uh, I got quite busy and uh, for almost eight years, I think. And then I was kind of praying for another uh, experience similar to when I did Faces in the Fire, uh, which really was a transformational film for me. I mean, from both sides of the camera. And it was a very spiritual film and I was able to give back. And uh, I was praying for another film like that. And I was in my men's group and a gentleman, Bob Trimble, was talking about, uh, he was a Vietnam vet, Purple Heart, Silver Medal or Silver Star. And uh, he was talking about his mom had passed and a lot of grief was coming up. And a lot of it involved his past traumatic experience in Vietnam. And he was gonna go on this motorcycle ride from California to the wall in Washington, DC. And I'm like, oh, there's my film. And uh, three weeks later, I was on the road going across the United States. We're in a four-wheeler, but we're following 300 Vietnam vets and their supporters on this uh, motorcycle pilgrimage. It was really a pilgrimage. It's not a motorcycle run. It's very solemn. It's very spiritual. And it's, um, it was a way for these men to get the homecoming that they never got the first time around when they got back from Vietnam. And I followed my friend, Bob Trimble. I met uh, a good friend that uh, ended up being in my next film, J.R. Franklin, another Vietnam vet. Man, Jungle Jim, a lot of people that were in that film. And it was about uh, these gentlemen finding their healing almost 20 to 30 years later after the Vietnam experience. And we culminated at uh, the wall in Washington, DC. And that was uh, quite an epiphany for some of these men. And uh, that was that was my second film, my personal films. In the meantime, I was doing tons of films, including music videos and things like that. So then that led to my third film, Searching for Home, Coming Back from War. So that was, gosh, again, it was almost eight to 10 years later. And I was approached by one of the gentlemen that was in um, Homecoming, A Vietnam Vet's Journey. And he said, you know, we, start, we just started having uh, some of the conflicts in uh, the Middle East. And some of these guys were coming home and having some difficulties assimilating back into society. And uh, JR said, 
you know, I know this guy, uh, Dr. Jeremy Crosby, and he's interested. He's a therapist for PTSD, and he's interested in uh, talking to you about doing another film. And uh, that was the beginning of Searching for Home, Coming Back for More. And what that really, that film was, is uh, it chronicled returning and assimilating back into civilian life after wartime. But what we did with that film is we just didn't focus on one small niche, like say the Vietnam vets. We had World War II vets, we have Korean vets, we have Vietnam vets and the guys that are returning home now. And the beauty in that film is the aggregate of their experience, even though different, was so very, very similar. And one of the tying threads that really tied all the stories together was hope, you know, and hope in recovery and hope for, uh, you know, the next day and a better day. And, uh, and so that's what Searching for Home Coming Back for more. And now I'm working on Unmasking Hope. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Again, it was a progression. Um, it's, I've really opened it up into more very different traumas not just the veteran drama. We have 9-11 survivors. We have mass shooting survivors. We have child uh, sexual abuse survivor, survivors. And again, their story, even though very different, has so many similarities. And that's the beauty in it because we all heal the same way. And so that's, uh, that's the voice of my films is hope and that we're all kind of all in this together. Do you plan on making one about the pandemic? Because there is a lot of trauma going on surrounding the pandemic as well. You know, it's interesting because the pandemic does play a part in Unmasking Hope. Uh, we've done uh, and we're going to continue to do some remote interviews with the people that are in, uh, in the film and how the pandemic is affecting them. Because for the people that are in recovery, no matter what it is, drugs and alcohol or trauma, and PTSD, this pandemic is quite a problem because uh, not being able to connect with your group is a big obstacle. And uh, thank God for Zoom and things like that really helps. You know, I too, I too, uh, you know, am in recovery. I have uh, 30 years clean and sober from drugs and alcohol. I, I changed my life after that fire and um, you know, I've, I've had to pivot my recovery and really focus to keep my recovery fresh. And uh, so going back, yes, we, we, we are uh, putting that facet into, into Unmasking Hope. What advice would you give people that are recovering from collective trauma and trying to get on the path to recovery? You know, number one is ask for help. You know, and that's probably the most difficult part is getting outside of yourself and saying, and, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, my trauma isn't like those soldiers. It's not that bad. You know, it's only X, it's only this, it's only that. But you know what? Trauma is not quanti uh, qualitative. You know, we can't put a rating on tra trauma. Trauma is usually one of the worst things that have ever happened to yourself. So you can't really rate that. So you can't play it down and you need to go and ask for help because it's very real. And so once you ask for help after that, the secondary thing is finding people like yourself 
and connecting with them and finding people in recovery and following what they're doing because uh, we, we can't we can't overcome these things by ourselves. It's very difficult to beat down these the the effects of severe trauma or any kind of trauma. It's very it, we need help, just like we need help in recovery from drugs and alcohol. We can't do that ourselves. Absolutely. How can the coverage of traumatic events trigger trauma survivors? What is your experience in that? You know. <laughs> It, it definitely does. I mean, because it brings them back there. That that event is seared into their memory in a way that uh, a lot of people that have never had something like that happen to them, it's very difficult to understand. But these events and seeing these events on TV, similar events to what your event might have been, unlocks that memory. And that memory is very, very powerful. And it's 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 hard to block. It, it just, it's called triggering. And that's when, you know, having, having a group or having other people connected with you really helps because then you can talk that through because any of these things that seem very detrimental can be turned into a positive, believe it or not. I mean, one of our Vietnam veterans, Bob Trimble, that's in Homecoming, a Vietnam vet's journey, his whole healing journey started because he had seen a parade of some of the um, Middle Eastern vet, uh, veteran from the Middle Eastern conflicts, a parade for them coming home. And uh, it just triggered the fact deep down that he never got his parade. And it just really set into place a, a, a seemingly tragic kind of consequence with him reacting to that, which led to him though, then asking for help and seeking further assistance and therapy and et cetera, et cetera, which led to his recovery. So um, all of these things can actually be turned into a positive depending on how you react. And if you have a group around you. You said you wanted to talk more about your new film. My question to you is, what makes this film so important in today's world? And you can say anything else that you would like to say about it for the listeners. You know, Unmasking Hope draws on a very diverse group of trauma survivors across race, across gender, across age, and across traumas. From 9-11 to the mass shootings, to sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse, and what it, what it really does is it shows, it's so important right now, it shows, because we're all going through a collective trauma right now. And it shows we're kind of all in this together. We all heal in a similar way, no matter what our trauma is or how extremely diverse it might be or different, God has made a way for us to heal that is very similar, but we take different paths. And to try to present this in Unmasking Hope. We have 11 different stories, 11 different, you know, I think 11 different stories, about eight or seven different traumas. And uh, what we try to do is build an aggregate of these stories that will, when you see it, 
you realize, number one, the viewer will connect with it in somewhere. I connect with that one person. I have those similar feelings. And then through that connection, their heart becomes open to the experience, the healing experience. Oh, that's very similar to me. And look what they're able to do. Wow. But look at that guy over there. He's, you know, a middle-aged man that has went through sexual uh, childhood sexual trauma and he's healing too. And they become inspired. And it produces not only inspiration and aspiration, it produces tolerance because you realize that we're all going through something and we're all on the same similar healing path, but just in different phases. So that's what um, I'm trying to say with Unmasking Hope. It's a logical extension of all my other films based on, um, you know, healing and hope. How have you parlayed your personal experience of surviving trauma into the work that you do for others? You know, my, my personal story is, you know, while I don't overlay it into the film itself, but my personal story allows me to understand and have empathy for the individuals in the film. I know pretty closely to what their experience is. And that's what the amazing, absolutely blessed part of this is, that somehow I can understand what a soldier's going through, or I can also understand what a mass shooting survivor has went through. Because I've had my own personal traumas and I'm in my own personal phase of recovery. While it's very, very different, it is actually pretty much the same. And so being able to reach out in empathy like that and understand and become a transparent um, conduit for their stories, it, it, that's, that's the biggest gift I have is actually what I went through and, what, and, and still what I am you know, working on in my personal recovery, 30 years later in my personal recovery. We're never done. And so I, I understand that and I understand the trials and, the, and what it takes. So it's, it's very, very key to my work and my film work. And um, as I say, whereas I don't make it about me, but it allows me to connect in a very, very special way with the people and the survivors I'm working with. To me, all my films are way more than a dramatic story. These films are my calling. These films are like what I do because of God set me up in a certain way to be able to understand and be a conduit for these films and these people. What are some of the unique challenges that you face when you're interviewing trauma survivors? Well, number one is being able to connect and connecting with them is very, very important. I tell my whole crew when we go into a situation and all the, I, I'm very selective about the people that are around me when we work in these, with these people because it's a very sensitive situation. And quite often these people, it's the first time they're telling their complete story outside of their therapist. And, and sometimes it's the first time they've told certain aspects of their story. So I tell the people on my crew that the individual the, the person, the trauma survivor is the most important thing. And our transparency and our connection with them is the most important 
important thing. And then comes the film. And I come into it from a way that I allow them to tell their story. I try not to have, and it's a very, very difficult thing, is I try not to have any preconceived ideas of what I want to hear from them. And I let them basically download their sacred story to me. And then from there, I put it into the film with uh, you know, the other survivors and, and see where they fit in the patchwork of this huge healing arc that Unmasking Hope, uh, Searching for Coming Back from War, all those are based on the healing arc. And, uh, but one of the most, you know, that's, that's uh, the biggest, you know, challenge is um, being transparent and uh, gaining the trust and uh, not having any preconceived ideas. Let them tell their story. So that's, um, that's one of the big challenges. Can you elaborate more on the masking concepts that you use in your film? I'd love to. It's a great question. You know, in day to day, if you if you become aware of it, we wear different masks. You know, this is my dad mask. This is my I got to get the business and don't bug me mask. And you know, in 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 life, these masks work for us. We, we have to assume a certain persona and a certain attitude to achieve certain things. And then when we add the level of trauma, another layer to it, the layer of trauma, quite often we use that mask to hide something. We hide behind this mask to hide our pain. And again, quite often that works on a certain level. You know, it's, it's the mom that has went through, you know, she's say she's been through some severe physical trauma or something like that, but she has to put that mom mask on just to get her kids out the door into school, which actually out the door or <laughs> into the room to get on the computer now for uh, the COVID online learning session. But same thing, and um, th that mask does work, but it's when the mask overtakes us, when that mask persona starts to hide who we really are, and it, it, it buries that pain that's underneath that mask. And that's where unmasking hope, it's about getting behind that mask with these people. It's about starting to reveal who they really are and what their hopes are. And, and, and it's about the process and how they have been able to start to take that mask off. And it's, you know, it's an, it's an analogy for healing. It's an analogy for taking those layers of the onion off, you know, peeling it back, peeling it back, getting to the core of our true self. And uh, quite often when we unmask all that, we find hope, you know, and, um, as Dr. Arya Shalev says in my film, that no matter how far down you want, no matter how severe your trauma is, there's still a kernel of hope in all of us, in all the humans that he's, he's worked with. And I see that in all the survivors I work with. You get down to it in the very, very core, there's just hope to go on. Speaking of a kernel of hope, how are you able to create a unified message of hope 
amongst such a diverse group of trauma survivors? You know, that's, that's another great question is, you know, it kind of happens itself because again, I believe that God has made this way for us all to heal and to heal from trauma and from, from the mental anguish from, from mental trauma and physical trauma is we, we have a, a way to heal much like when you get a scratch, it starts to scab over, then it heals, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same with, for me, it's the same with, with mental trauma, it's a very similar thing that we're meant to heal a certain way. And uh, the stories themselves, that arc is in all of us of how we heal. And so it's up to me just to get the aggregate of all these different pieces and all these different people and these diverse traumas. And then I put them in the story arc of, of the healing and the hope. And, and it's amazing every time, no matter if you're a 92 year old World War II vet tail gunner, or you're a female veteran from New York that uh, served in Iraq, you have the same healing art basically. And that's how that happens. It kind of happens on its own because it's built into us. But the problem occurs when we try to stymie that, when we try, when we, it gets too uncomfortable and we put the mask on, that's what it, what happens. We put the mask of drugs and alcohol on to like numb us. We put the mask of like, uh, of like, uh, uh, work being a workaholic we put all sorts of different masks on that stop that healing and that's that's the problem and we see that in the film too why do you feel that social responsibility in filmmaking is so important oh my gosh you know i remember when my kids were small and uh i was very careful about kind of what media they ingest in things and people would go oh it's only a movie you know but that's that's so far from the truth movies have the possibility you know that they have the ability to affect you on such a deep personal level i mean to your soul because the when when a master uses the music and the imagery and good acting or a good story it it, it just it, it just touches you so deeply and to have that responsibility as a filmmaker to be able to move people and touch them so deeply i believe it's a huge responsibility and for me you know i don't even like being called a filmmaker because that sounds a little bit manipulative filmmaker comes in with an idea and then he's like kind of manipulates everything around this idea he has etc cetera, etc cetera. i try to like let them tell their own story let their own healing and let their own soul tell the story and put that together and 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 then reflect that in a positive way because underneath all that is hope and i feel it's very important to take that responsibility very seriously you know it, it's more to me than filmmaking it's my calling to be able to tell these people's uh extremely sacred stories 
and to be able to reflect it correctly and be able to reflect the hope and the healing that I see around and the beauty in these people. And that's a huge responsibility. It sure is. Besides the National Institute for Mental Health, and what other ways have your films been used as educational tools that you know of? Oh my gosh. Um, it's kind of, you know, one of the really cool things in a lot of different ways, you know, from, from when I sell a DVD, people still buy DVDs. And I get a little note saying, you know, thank you for making this film because now I can show it to my family and they understand what I went through. Uh, on a very personal, small level, that's what that is. And, and to me, that's not small. That's like amazing that I've been able to do that. To the fact that with Searching for Home coming back from war, when we had our screenings, we partnered with the vet centers, which is a subset of the VA. But the vet centers are run by veterans for veterans. I believe that you have to, one of the best ways of therapy is to talk to somebody that has actually been through what you've been through that has been through a similar experience. And so the vet center has veterans for veterans. So when we did searching for home, coming back for more, we'd have these screenings, several of the vet centers would bring out these mobile counseling, uh, counseling units. And that was awesome. And then I still hear, hear that on veterans day and certain days, and we were talking about triggers a little bit, a little while ago, veterans day, Memorial day for these veterans are tough days. But I still hear about uh, searching for home, some of these vet centers and uh, smaller counseling places. They'll, they'll show the films for families and then they'll have the, vet, uh, the counselors available. You know, when we did personal screenings, I always made sure that, that we had counselors available for, uh, for the people, for the viewers, for the audience. Because um, while my films are not intended to trigger, Sometimes it does spark things and hopefully it sparks the idea of these folks have done something amazing with their lives and they aspire to the healing that they see on the film. But yeah, it's been used and my films have been used in many different ways. Well, besides your films, talk about some of the big, I know you said you did rap videos, talk about some of the big commercials and rap videos that you might have been involved in that the listeners will recognize you know that's that's pretty funny a friend of mine a friend of mine did a post on facebook the other day and he said write something about you that doesn't seem like it's true <laughs> that you did that that seems like it's not true well um it's funny i i, I was an editor for uh he's passed away since um for a a director named Marty Thomas, and he did a ton of rap videos, and he was right in there with Easy E and NWA and MC Ren and that whole situation. And um, he did a ton of rap videos, and um, I did a lot of editing with them. But as a side note, I couldn't. The longer I was in recovery, the less I could really do that kind of work. But um, the, there, there was a point that. Um, he came into the edit session once and he's where he was doing a bunch of rap videos and he said, you know, you'd be a good cop. Why don't you grow a mustache and let me see, you know, so I grew a mustache and he goes, okay, come on down. So I ended up coming down to this uh, set for a guy named threat. And this, uh, this guy was a protege of ice cube. And so I played this cop in this, uh, in this rap video. And, um, uh, it was pretty funny because, uh, 
Marty calls me up onto the set and he goes, oh, there's a guy I need you to interrogate and act like you're going to get into a fight. And it was Ice Cube. So I got to do a scene with Ice Cube in this uh, music video. But I, I from that, and uh, I, I've done an IMAX film called uh, Seven Greatest Places. And that was quite an experience because, you know, I, I think it's about three minutes film weighs 11 pounds you know, being able to see such visual acuity on the screen and being able to actually work in film, that was a real, real cool thing to do. Um, IMAX was very different back then. I, I was the king of toothpaste for quite a while and I've done dozens of national toothpaste commercials of all things, but you know, I always kept coming back to my calling, which is, you know, healing and hope and working with people in recovery and trauma. Yeah, I've, I've done all sorts of Navy SEALs, for uh, discovery and all this other, all this other work, but uh, I just keep coming back to my personal work and my healing work, and now unmasking hope. Absolutely. Besides this fourth film that you're working on, are there any other projects that you got coming up that the listeners need to know about? Any books? Any podcasts? Anything like that? You know, I'm doing a lot, my publicist has me doing a lot of podcasts, you know, and uh, that's been really nice. I talk about my personal recovery. I talk about my films and I get the message out there. Um, you know, honestly, after Unmasking Hope, we're planning on releasing it in um, September 11th, uh, 2021 of this year. So, you know, I have five more months of working on it. Then we deliver it to our distributor. But after that, you know, I have, I have no real plans other than... Uh, you know, working with my wife and on our other business. And, uh, you know, I just, it's, it's such a huge undertaking, these films, because there's, there's fundraising, you know, there's, there's a production where I'm gone from my family. It's not, it's not really that glamorous at all, but it's extremely fulfilling. And there is, it's not, uh, really what I would call an economic mechanism. You know, my pay I get from these is in a, in an economy and a commerce that's not, not of this earth kind of in a way, let me say, you know, it, it's my soul food. And, um, so it, 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 it gets, it, it's to be a little bit grueling and, um, but I love what I do, but I don't have anything else planned right now. I'm just planning on finishing this film and, and that's that's kind of it for right now. <laughs> I, I plan on paddle boarding a lot, stand up paddle boarding. <laughs> well, speaking of your films, throw out your contact information, any websites. How can people get a hold of these films? There might be a person out there that you could help with getting oh, during this interview. You know, searching for home, coming back from war, um, is available on um, iTunes, Google Play, and all the usual streaming companies that's uh, searching for coming back for more if you want to check that out itunes google play and if you want to check out what's going on with my current film unmasking hope you can go to unmaskinghopethemovie.com and also uh we're in a phase right now where we're just in we're like in the red zone <laughs> we're in the final mile on this one and we are still seeking funding and it is through the um International Documentary Association, we have a 501c3 umbrella. And if you'd like to donate, you can go to unmaskinghopethemovie.com. And then if you want to find out more about me, 
you can go to ecproductions.com and uh, there you go. There's three different things. And uh, if you can put that stuff up with uh, when you put this podcast out, you can um, click on it and come see what's going on with me. You said ecproductions.com. Uh-huh. Yes, I will put both of those websites in the show notes. Do you have any other topics that we haven't touched on that you would like to touch on? You know, it just, uh, you know, number one, you know, I love, I love my films and my calling, but you know, my family comes first and being a dad comes first. And then, you know, just right now is, is a, is a, is a difficult time doing all that. And uh, I see a lot of stress in families with younger kids and this whole online thing and them not being able to socialize with the COVID and everything. And, and there's so much derision right now. There's divisiveness everywhere you look. You know, people get on Facebook and they argue and they chat and it's like, oh. And, and people always wonder, it's like, they, I don't know if they think they're helping or what they're doing, but I can honestly say the best thing to do right now is just to call somebody that might be a little bit isolated. You know, be a little bit tolerant of somebody else. Be a good ear, you know, and, uh, and be a good person, you know. Um, you know, my wife and I just, this morning we had breakfast and it's just like, holy cow, we're exhausted. <laughs> you know, we're, we roll into 2021 and we get five days and then we all of a sudden have this, you know, crazy insanity again. And, um, you know, and then people think they're helping by posting really, you know, um, aggressive, divisive stuff on Facebook and all that on Facebook. You know, the, the best thing you can do is just be patient with your neighbor. Be patient. Call your mom, you know. <laughs> You still got your mom around. Make sure she's okay. Talk through some stuff with people. Just take the time and be a good human. You know, that's that's what I feel, you know, and uh, I just try to make that time. In my personal life, I try to give my time away if I can, you know, and, and help somebody else. That's great advice for the tough times that we're going through today. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Christensen. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thank you, Curveball. I appreciate it. Anytime. And listeners, please make sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe after listening. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.